Well, good morning, church family. And if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, just want to extend a warm welcome to you uh, here at uh, Windsor Road. I'm Randy, and I'm uh, privileged to be the lead minister here at the church. And it's just great to be with uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Great to be with uh, family here at Windsor. Uh, the Navigator's uh, mission is to know Christ, to make him known, and to help others do the same. One, one at a time face-to-face, on purpose, in person, knowing Christ, growing in Christ, uh, going to share Christ with others, and uh, just being a reproducing Christian. And so uh, pleased to partner with the Navigators, and we're pleased that uh, Norm Hubbard from the Navigators is with us here this morning. Uh, Norm served here in the University of Illinois area uh, for several years, and he's been with the Navigators since 1999, and uh, he is currently ministering to students at the uh, University of Wisconsin, Fox Valley, Appleton, uh, Wisconsin area, and also at Michigan Tech University. Um, Norm also oversees staff for uh, Wisconsin campuses, and, and he's a national conference speaker. So he's a kind of a player coach in the, in the ministry. And uh, Norm was, has been with us this weekend. He spoke at uh, Friday's all-campus worship um, at the U of I, and he's going to be lecturing tomorrow morning uh, at uh, Urbana Theological Seminary's annual uh, preaching forum, which uh, we're hosting here at Windsor. So uh, I'm just uh, delighted to introduce our teacher this morning. Well, thank you, Pastor Randy, and thank you for those prayers. Uh, it's a pleasure and a privilege for me to be here at Windsor Road. This is the first time I've been uh, with you guys to preach, and so I'm grateful for the opportunity. And uh, I want to invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, we want to give the Lord the first word here this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at what God has to say to us about relating to him on the basis of his promises. But before I read this text, I want you to know, I know that some of you have been coming to Windsor for a long time, and uh, you're probably accustomed to having an outline, whether it's on a PowerPoint or in a handout, and uh, you don't have an outline in front of you this morning. And I just want you to take a deep breath. It's okay. Um, I tend to be more of a listener-learner myself. And there are probably some of you out there who are listener-learners who, if you hear something that stands out to you this morning that you want to make a mental or an actual note of, do that. And for those of you who like to take extensive notes, you're welcome to do that also, but I just wanted to set your expectations that you may be accustomed uh, to a preacher with more extensive notes, but you're also accustomed to a preacher who has a respectable haircut, and you don't have that this morning either. So let's just go for it, right? In Galatians chapter 3, uh, Paul is talking to an audience of people who have heard the gospel. They have believed in the good news, that their salvation has been accomplished for them by Jesus, not on the basis of anything that they've done, and they've entrusted their lives to Jesus. And according to the promise of God, they not only have life eternally, but they have the indwelling Holy Spirit, but something has happened. They're experiencing influence from teachers who are trying to convince them that now having begun with Christ, their walk with God actually needs to be lived out according to the law. You need to observe the law in order to continue to experience the favor of God. 
And Paul is writing into that confusion. And we're going to pick up with Galatians chapter 3, verses 13, read to verse 18, where Paul writes this, Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brothers, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant that was previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Can we pause to pray together? Lord, just as those gathered around me to entrust me in this time to you, we pause to open ourselves up to you now, to entrust ourselves to you, asking, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word this morning. Lord, you know that sometimes we struggle with distraction. Sometimes we struggle with bias when we approach your word. Help us, Lord. Be gracious to us. Let us hear from you this morning. And where we need the courage to receive the challenge that you bring our way, give us the grace we need. We ask that of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14, the second sentence that we read, basically functions as a pivot point in this part of Paul's argument about how we relate to God on the basis of faith in Christ, trusting in the promise that God had made even as early as the time of Abraham. He, he says that God's purpose, verse 14, is that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, the blessing of Abraham, he refers to. And Paul, in this section, actually, if you look through Galatians chapter 3, which you can do, you know, later on today, but you, you will notice that the recurrence of the word blessing, it, it occurs a few times through this chapter. And I tend to be one of those people who colors in my Bible. I'm kind of like a kindergartner in that way. I like to, I like to note some of the significant words that recur, and that's one of them, the blessing of Abraham. Paul is referring us back to Genesis chapter 12. You don't need to turn there, but where God chooses Abram, who will later be renamed Abraham, but he chooses Abram and he says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And Paul is, is pointing us to that promise of God that through Abram, and through his descendant, Jesus, we'll see this in just a minute, that the promise of 
salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit would go to all the Gentiles, all the nations. And so verse 14 in some sense is a summary that helps us to latch on to what Paul is trying to teach to his audience and to us. Then he gives us an illustration. I really appreciate this in verse 15. He gives, us, he gives them kind of an everyday illustration. He says, you know how contracts work, right? Okay, the words he uses, brothers, I speak in terms of human relations, or let me give you a, a human example. Even though it's only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. He's giving us an illustration and says, you, you guys know what it's like to sign a contract. Once you have signed that contract, you don't just go breaking it willy-nilly. I mean, think about like you, you get a mortgage for a house, right? And you sign the documents. There are a lot of them. You sign the documents and they say they're going to loan you the money for your house at, you know, 4% interest. And then you get your first bill, and it's 4.25% interest. You can't do that. You can't sneak another quarter percentage point into my payment, because I signed 800 documents. And this is what Paul is saying. We, we know how this stuff works, right? It's illegal or it's wrong to break a contract that has already been made. And he says in verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham. That was a covenant that God made. A contract, if you will, that God entered into. And then he makes a little parenthetical statement that does help us to see the implication of this for ourselves as Christians. He says, notice that when the promises were spoken to Abraham, they were spoken, and he's quoting from the Old Testament here, but he says it was spoken about your, not your seeds, but your seed, singular. He's pointing out that a singular noun rather than a plural noun was used. And what that was is a reference to Christ, that it was through the seed or the descendant of Abraham that this promise would be fulfilled. That Christ would come and through his sacrificial death, a way of salvation through faith would be open to all the nations. That's the promise that God made. And Paul, through his illustration, has said that that promise that God made is not going to get amended or violated. And he goes on to continue the argument in verse 17. What I am saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant that was previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on promise. But God granted it to Abraham, and by the way, through Abraham and his descendant Jesus, to us. The inheritance is based on promise. God has granted it to Abraham and to us by means of that promise. So what Paul is teaching there is that the law has a, a function. There's a role that the law plays. But the introduction of the law through... Mo and by the way, we hope that the law has some uh, purpose for us, right? Since we're in a series on Exodus where we're looking at the law, right? And how it applies to us. But what the argument that, that Paul is making in Galatians is that the, the introduction of the law through Moses did not somehow supersede the promise that had been made to Abraham. 
And in fact, what he's really urging for his audience in Galatians chapter 3 is that the basis of our relationship with God is the promise that God made, not the law which God introduced through Moses. I would say it this way, that the promises are the pavement that we drive on, the law is the guardrail. And woe to the person who attempts to drive on the guardrail. We call that a wreck. And Paul would too. He would say, if you believe that the nature of your relationship with God is based on your observance of the law, life will be a wreck. Your relationship with God has been established on the basis of God's good promise and His fidelity to His promises, His faithfulness to you, His, His promised blessing through Abraham, through Christ, to all the nations, including you and me. Now, the interesting thing is, throughout history, God has related to people on the basis of His promises. Paul uses the word covenant, right? A covenant that God ratified. And you can take a cursory look at the Old Testament and see that God is consistently approaching His people and entering into covenants with them. He's making promises to His people. He did it with Adam and Eve in the garden. He did it with Noah, when Noah disembarked from the ark. With Abraham, when He chose Abraham. We referred to that in Genesis 12 and following. Through Moses with the law, with David, with the Messiah. We're going, to, we're going to observe communion at the end of this service where Jesus would say that this is the new covenant in my blood. God is entering into a covenant with His people. And the fascinating thing is that in the ancient world, covenants or treaties or contracts like the ones we read in the Old Testament were very common except that no God ever entered into a covenant with His people. It's all, here's the way God's functioned with contracts. I swear to God I'll keep this contract. We appeal to God, as in a, and this, this happened throughout the ancient world. Written contracts will make an appeal to a God who we swear by to be faithful to the covenant that we're making with one another. What happens when God becomes a party to the contract? Who does He swear by? Paul will actually say, since God had no one else to swear by, He swore by Himself. I will do what I say I will do. I'm God. And there is no other religion in the ancient or modern world where a God obligates Himself by promise, by covenant to His people and swears by himself that he will stay faithful to it. So you see, God throughout history has related to people on the basis of his promises, but throughout history, his people have attempted to relate to him on the basis of their performance. God has laid down promises as the pathway of life. The path of blessing is paved with God's promises, but we tend to think that we are to relate to God primarily on the basis of principles and prohibitions. And so we orient our lives that way. God wishes to bless us on the basis of His promises 
we wish to impress him on the basis of our performance. And that never goes well. And this is what Paul is trying to direct his audience away from. You began by believing that the promised blessing to Abraham would come to you on the basis of faith in the finished work of Jesus. Why now do you think that you're supposed to walk with God solely on the basis of principles, the things I'm supposed to do and prohibitions, the things I'm not supposed to do, that that is now the basis of my relationship with God? It's not. It's always been the promise of God. It's always been the mercy and the blessing of God poured out on the people whom He's chosen. And if we attempt to invert that, if we attempt to make the guardrail, as it were, the principles and prohibitions, the law that God has given for our good and for our guidance and to guard us through life, if we attempt to make that the pathway on which we walk, it's not going to carry us forward. Far. Have you ever walked on an inadequate path? I have, let me tell you one. I worked for my uncle when I was in college, lived in a college town, Auburn, Alabama, and my uncle managed a lot of student rentals. And so part of my job involved me going and cleaning out student rentals when they were vacated. And let's just say that oftentimes student tenants don't take particular care of the places where they live. And so on this one assignment, my uncle sent me to a duplex and said, there is accumulated years of junk in the attic of this duplex. Will you go and just get all the junk out of the attic and take it to the dump? And I said, sure enough. So I drove to this duplex. I went up in the attic, and sure enough, there is a lot of junk in this attic, right? Plywood over the, you know, the, the ceiling joists. And so I go and I start clearing stuff out. Well, there's junk in every corner. And I noticed that after I'd gotten most of the junk out, there's junk back in a far corner. And so, and there's a, I could see there are boards that get to that junk. And a little dim light bulb that helped me to see the boards that got to that junk. And so I start walking towards the junk on these two boards that are placed across the, you know, the joist up there. And I take one step, and then I take another step, and boom, my foot goes right through the ceiling of the other guy's duplex. <laughs> now, thankfully, I, I, you know, I had a balance enough that I didn't fall, but I stuck my foot through the ceiling and immediately felt whack on my leg because his fan was on. And I stuck my leg into his fan. And so, you know, I painfully pull my leg out of the hole. I look through the hole and the guy is sitting on his couch. And I said, hang on, I'll be right down there. Well, we got the hole in his ceiling worked out because thankfully it was my uncle's duplex. Uh, but that for me has been a living illustration of what it looks like to walk on a path that won't get you there. A path that won't see you through. A path that's not sturdy enough, stable enough, long enough, whatever it may be. And I think if Paul were here, he would say, that's exactly what I'm saying about the law. The law is not the structure to walk on. It's the guardrail, the guide for you. As you move along the pathway of God's promise, that is the basis of the relationship that we have with God. That's the foundation. That's the road, as it were. So what does this look like for us in 
lived experience with God? What does it mean for us to trust in the promise of God, not in our own ability to perfectly uh, follow all the principles or prohibitions? Well, for me, this lesson came home several mornings after my wife Katie had passed away. Some of you are familiar with my story, but we lived here uh, in the Champaign-Urbana area for almost 10 years, and during that time, my wife was diagnosed with cancer, had a recurrence, and then a, a second metastatic diagnosis while we were here. And we knew it as her health was failing that we needed to move to be closer to her family for the months or years that she had left, and I would need and my kids would need the support of family. And so we moved to Wisconsin just before Christmas in 2015, and my wife passed away a little over a month later in January of 2016. And, you know, uh, just friends and family came and surrounded us to be with us during that time. But after the funeral and all of the, you know, friends and family had left, um, it was time for my kids to start school for a new semester in a new state. Having just lived through the death of their mom, and I woke up that morning that they were to start school, and I was so afraid. I was like, God, how am I going to do this? How, am I how do I have what it takes to help teenage girls move through high school in the absence of the best counselor and friend they could have possibly had in their mom? What am I supposed to do? I don't know that I have what it takes. And kind of in the, the darkness, I mean, I'm just lying in bed early that morning, woke up and just flooded with fear. And in that darkness, I hear this sentence. All of your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be the peace of your children. My wife had prayed that promise over and over and over. And it's like I heard a word of promise. All of your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be the peace of your children. I'd heard Katie pray that so many times and I had no idea where to find it. I didn't even know where it was, but I had it memorized. I knew that promise by heart and so I had to find it. And so I did what every responsible person does. I got my phone out and searched Google for it. And I found it in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 13. And I, I circled the numbers and like drew colorful arrows so that I would remember the numbers, the address, so I could find it in the place on the page. Because I needed that word of promise from God through Katie more than I needed anything at that point that morning. I did not need someone to come to me and reaffirm for me the principles of good parenting or the things that I ought to avoid doing. Those are important. I have a role. I am still dad to my four kids. I have a part to play, but I do not have God's part to play. And the promise of God in Isaiah 54 is that God himself will teach my children. 
And God himself will secure their peace. And I can't do that. How do we walk with God through this life? I've said it. I was actually talking with someone just between these services. We don't have the option of choosing no suffering. We have the option of who we will suffer with. Will I walk through this life with God who has given me extraordinary and abundant promises, not just of salvation after this life, but of salvation in this life. That He will be with me through it all. That He will never leave me or forsake me. That His provision for all of my needs will be there when I need it. Promise after promise that God has made. The only option we have is who we will walk through this life with. And on which foundation we will walk. Will we try to relate to God on the basis of the laws, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, or on the basis of the promises, the I wills. I will do this. I will accomplish for you the things that you cannot accomplish for yourself. From the largest matters of our eternal salvation to the everyday matters of how do I raise my children? Will we rely on the promises of God? And here is the interesting thing. If you choose to relate to God on the basis of the promises that he's made, which is, I highly advise, it will bring you face to face with the promise maker. You all know what I'm talking about because you've all lived through life where people have made promises that they haven't kept. And oh, by the way, you and I have also been people who have made promises that we haven't kept. And we know that a promise is only as good as the promise maker. And this is exactly what God wants for us who relate to Him on the basis of His promised blessings is that it would draw us to Him face to face with Him where we will have to ask the question, are you trustworthy as my God? Are you a good father? Are you powerful enough to come good on the promise that you've made? And that's how God wants us to live before him. Not with like a, a sheet of the 10 to 15 to 150 things that I think I ought to do in order to impress God. But to come face to face with him in light of his word of promise to us and say, God, I want to know you as a trustworthy, promise-making God that no good thing that you have said you would do will you fail to do. Let it be shown in my lived experience with you. That's my prayer for you guys, that you will learn to live according to the promise, the abundant promises of a merciful and gracious God, and that as you attempt to do so, that it will draw you close to the promise maker. Let me pray for you to that end. Lord, we're so richly blessed to have such abundant promises. Not just words on a page, but you have come to us. You have drawn near to us in your Son. You have given us freely a salvation that we never could have earned and we do not deserve, but out of your mercy and goodness, you have given us salvation 
You live in us by your Holy Spirit. You provide for us. You give us peace. You give us the power that we need. Your promises toward us are almost unfathomably good. Help us, Lord, to relate to you on those terms. We pray that you would guide us toward that end in Jesus' name. Amen.